Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today you're in for a treat because I am sure you probably have heard about the Nashville Christmas bomber, Anthony Quinn Warner, and I am putting him on my couch and analyzing him for you. Everybody wants to know what, <laughs> why did this man drive his RV into downtown Nashville and make it explode. With him inside, I mean, basically, basically he was a suicide bomber, but he wasn't uh, a terrorist, an ISIS or Al-Qaeda-type terrorist. Instead, he had a much more um, complex psyche. And I have been fascinated by this man, <laughs> mainly because, <laughs> excuse me, mainly because um, first of all, he didn't kill anybody other than himself, and he injured th- at least three people, but nobody died. He did destroy over 41 businesses and lots of buildings. You know, the downtown Nashville area looks like a bomb hit it because it did. Um, and so I shouldn't be laughing about this. It's really pretty tragic in terms of, you know, the people who have been bad enough with uh, COVID people with businesses um, trying to stay afloat. And then, of course, this happens. So it is tragic. Um, Not as tragic as it could have been had he not warned people through uh, a loudspeaker. um, There were announcements coming from his RV, from its parking place in downtown Nashville, telling people that a bomb was about to go off. Um, giving, give, doing a countdown. And um, so he was purposely trying to not kill people. Also on uh, Christmas morning, that's when this took place, very early Christmas morning, um, uh, there really weren't, the, the p- main people who were down there were people who lived there amongst the businesses. Um, not, you know, there were really normally, you know, if, if he had done this, uh, some evening, normally this was a, a tourist area, it was just a general downtown of the city where there are tons and tons of people. So if he hadn't chosen a time um, early in the morning, it was uh, about 5.30 in the morning when it started, when these announcements started, um, if he hadn't chosen that time and that day, Christmas, you know, when people, <laughs> people weren't up going downtown... Um, then it would have been much more of a disaster. But, so I was starting to say, the reason why I became really enthralled (laughs) or fascinated as a psychiatrist, wanting to put him on my couch, wishing actually that he was still alive so I could literally put him on my couch. Unfortunately, if some psychiatrist had done that years and years ago, this whole thing might not have happened and he might have been a happier guy. But as it was, he was a very lonely dude. And um, that was uh, made quite clear to us. I call it his suicide note. 
in the song that he had playing from his van, right before the, it exploded, um, he had this song called Downtown, uh, Petula Clark. It was a song that came out in the early 1960s. And it starts, when you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. I'm sure you're, a lot of you remember it. I won't sing the whole song unless I change my mind later in the show. Um, in any case, so that really got to me because that was such, that is such a plaintive song, such a, um, you know, such an expression of how he was feeling. I mean, you know, Christmas, if you don't have a family who welcomes you and friends who welcome you, and of course, with COVID, you know, so many places are uh, trying to clamp down on how many people you can gather with anyway, even on Christmas. So Christmas can be the loneliest day of the year if you don't have friends and family who care about you and want you to be with them and want to give you presents and all of that. So what brought this guy, he was 63 years old, what brought this guy to this point in his life when he would commit suicide and do it in this particular way? I mean, this was quite a, a message, quite a unique way. Um, so let me start kind of from the beginning in terms of, um, first of all, you know, when this first happened, as I um, started to mention, the question was, was this a real terrorist? Was this a 9-11 type terrorist attack? And there were things to actually uh, consider that possibility. Um, in my first tweet, I talked about that. Uh, and by the way, my, my Twitter page is at Dr. Carol MD, at D-R-C-A-R-O-L-E-M-D. Um, you'll find all kinds of interesting things there. So my first tweet had to do with um, calling them out. The, the, um, the police, the authorities were saying that this was, they weren't calling it terrorism per se, but they were saying it was an intentional act. Now, intentional act is often a euphemism for, for a terror attack. So right away I thought, oh, here they go again. You know, they don't want to admit that it's a terror attack uh, so they're calling it an intentional act. So that was a hint that maybe it was a real radical Islamist terrorist. Um, also, other reasons why it seemed like it might be a terror attack was because it was, um, uh, it was on Christmas. And terrorists um, like to do their attacks at a, a significant or symbolic place or time and, of course, uh, Christmas, you know, being uh, a symbol of Christianity, non-believers, that would have been, that ha and it has been at times, uh, sites of Christmas, uh, of terrorist bombings. Then um, also uh, the fact that he was basically a suicide bomber, the fact that it was a bomb inside a parked vehicle, these are all things that are typical of um, radical Islamist terror attacks. Uh, the fact that it was in the middle of the city, downtown, which is dramatic, you know, made, makes an impression. But of course, some of these things, uh, there are things that really spoke against it being a terror attack. First of all, no terrorist organization claimed responsibility for it. 
and still hasn't. Um, second of all, there was a big effort to not kill people, you know, giving the warning, giving the 15-minute countdown, there's going to be a bomb that's going to explode, get away, get away. Um, so that, a, terror, a real terrorist would not tell people to get away. Um, and so it seemed like there was more of a personal uh, message here, more of a pe- personal story rather than terrorism per se. So, and indeed, there is. Uh, he, this is a, as I said, this is a fascinating man. Um, a couple of days before the um, bombing, a neighbor of Anthony saw, happened to see him at his mailbox and just started to chit-chat, which was kind of unusual because, in fact, everybody talks about him as being a loner, as being an oddball, as being a hermit. Um, they never, his neighbors didn't see people coming in or out of his house. He was totally, totally alone. And, um, but this neighbor, but nobody said a a mean word about him either. Um, people who knew him really just, they, they talked about, a number of people talked about how he took care of his dogs, how kind he was to his dogs, that when they got older, he would put a ramp over the steps so that the dogs would be able to climb up more easily than having to climb the steps. And um, just, you know, people said, like one man for whom he worked, he did IT work and he did work on alarms, um, burglar alarms. And um, people said he was very professional and uh, he didn't chit-chat much, (laughs) but he did his job and he was professional and then he left and and he had told um, this particular man who he was doing IT work for that he was going to retire. And this was about a month before the Christmas bombing. And uh, so he had planned this, as you'll see, for there are other reasons also that show that he had planned this for over a month. Um, but none of these people had anything bad to say about him. So this neighbor who happened to meet him, see him at his mailbox, uh, shortly before Christmas, casually asked him, is Santa going to bring you anything good for Christmas? And Anthony said, um, he smiled, and he said, oh, yeah, Nashville and the world is never going to forget me. Now, you can kind of say it like that, which is probably how he said it, you know, very casually. And in fact, the neighbor thought that he just meant that he was going to have a good Christmas. But, you know, really what he was saying inside his head was, oh, yeah, Nashville and the world is never going to forget me. So um, so what else can we say about this man? There are so many, so many interesting things. Um, well, first of all, one of the clues, we think, um, you know, first of all, if you, if you look at uh, the news, and I have been... Uh, really um, scouring the news ever since I heard about this, again, primarily because I was pulled in by the plaintiveness of uh, the song Downtown and how lonely this man must have been. Um, so one, so you'll see in, in various media reports about how no motive has been established yet. We don't know a motive. Well, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about some motive. Um, there are, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing how people are sort of blind or don't want to see certain things. But um, 
I mean, not this man is, is uh, not that it's simple, uh, and I don't have all the answers by any means. I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be still seeing answers pop up. I mean, I think that this man has left more clues than what we know so far. And, um, you know, I think, for example, he probably wanted his motive to be sure to be clear. And so whether, you know, they're now examining his computers and um, all his Internet, so far they don't seem to have been able to find him on the Internet, but, of course, he probably used, um, he didn't use his real name, I would imagine. Um, But they're looking through his computers and other kinds of technical devices, and there may well be some kind of a letter or some kind of hints on there. But I think we, I think we can gather um, a lot of things already. So, for example, the truck, his RV, was parked uh, downtown in front of the AT&T building. Now, his father worked for a telephone company called Bell South, and that was bought over by AT&T in 2006. And he still, the father still worked there, but you know, he, he was subsumed <laughs> under AT&T. So one of my first thoughts was, well, perhaps the father uh, lost some benefits or lost a promotion or got demoted or um, got paid less, you know, had some kind of change happen, um, particularly like not being able to get a promotion because if they brought in a, a bigger company, AT&T, then he might well have been a lower, so his father might well have been a lower man on the totem pole of that company, having worked for Bell South, not AT&T to begin with. So his father was named Charles B. Warner, and um, he, he died in 2011. So he died five years after uh, AT&T took over. Now, AT&T, as you may know, um, is advertising all over the place that uh, you should go with them because they now have 5G, a more powerful, according to them, um, more powerful uh, signal. And, um, you know, there are all kinds of commercials from being proud, proudly showing off that they are the only ones, for the time being at least, that have 5G. Now, there are, you'll, you might have seen or heard in the media people talking about how they think that maybe the bomber, Anthony Quinn Warner, um, was was believing in conspiracy theories about 5G. Uh, Now, there are conspiracy theories on the Internet and um, that he may, you know, since he's an Internet guy, that's his work. As an IT guy, um, presumably he spends a lot of time on the Internet. So at least uh, reading it, if not, you know, making his own uh, comments, although it really seems likely that he probably did make various comments under a different name or names. But anyhow, the the most rampant uh, theories, conspiracy theories on the Internet about 5G is that it is used to spy on Americans. That is the thought. Now, if he believed that it was used, and I'll tell you about some other theories, 
But if he believed that it was used, that 5G, which was emanating from AT&T, the building he parked in front of and blew to pieces, then um, he, you know, uh, what I've diagnosed him as, as having paranoia and schizotypal tendencies, schizoid tendencies, and being paranoid and, and, uh, and perhaps having paranoid schizophrenia. I'll get to that. But um, but it, it, he, there was no doubt that he was paranoid. Let's just start with a simple description. He was paranoid. Some of the examples of this were uh, how he had signs all over his property, no trespassing, but really like all over his property, including all over his RV before he took the RV out. Now, interestingly enough, um, he his neighbors said that he had he was always tinkering in his RV. And, um, in fact, in 2019, at least two people called the police to say that they were concerned that he was building bombs in his RV. Now, I don't know how they knew that or thought that, what made them think that, maybe just because he was a strange guy. But the police apparently did not go and check, or if they did, he somehow hid what he was doing. But it's kind of sad, you know, this happens all the time. It particularly happens with real terrorists um, where they're on a watch list or people have reported them and then the police don't do anything and lo and behold, there is a terror attack down the line. Uh, now, again, I'm not saying that he is a radical Islamist terrorist, but it's just there are similarities in terms of the police not investigating and a tragedy happening. Well, let me um, stop here because we do need to take a break. But when we come back, I will get back to this issue of 5G because I think that that's uh, a key factor for why he did what he did, one of the key factors, and, um, and, but not necessarily in the way that is typically being uh, assumed was the reason. So when we come back, I will get more into that. Today we're talking about the uh, Nashville Christmas bomber, um, Anthony Quinn Warner. So stay tuned, and we will delve more into the head of Anthony Quinn Warner. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about a fascinating man, so complex psychologically. And, of course, um, we will remember him because um, he blew up his RV with a bomb or bombs. <laughs> there was a big explosion that took out 41 over 41 businesses, buildings, and so on in downtown Nashville. Um, his name is Anthony Quinn Warner. I'm putting him on my couch today. I have been delving into whatever uh, information is available about him because, as I said at the beginning, I was just uh, taken by I mean, I know uh, maybe some of you think that uh, I should not be as sympathetic <laughs> to a man who... Um, exploded his RV in the middle of downtown Nashville, but nobody was killed. There were a little more than three people who were injured, but not seriously, and he did everything he could to warn people to get away from the truck. Now, of course, granted, there were people who um, who lived near there, and he couldn't or didn't quite realize what was going on right away, but but he did do what he could. He did it. He timed it for Christmas morning when there weren't a lot of people around and so on, hardly anybody around. It, it started, the recording said, this vehicle has a bomb. If you can hear this message, you need to evacuate. And it started playing shortly after 5.30 in the morning. It continued for about 30 minutes. Then it changed to a 15-minute countdown, urging people to evacuate and playing uh, Paula Petula's Petula Clark's uh, song, Downtown, which I say is his suicide note and speaks to the degree of pain that he was in in terms of being lonely, especially on Christmas morning, which could be the loneliest time of the year if you don't have friends or family to spend it with. So I am putting him on my couch and analyzing him um, he, uh, I was talking about 5G before the break. Um, he parked the truck in front of the AT&T building, which has made a big show, big fanfare about them being the only uh, cell service or um, telephone service that has 5G. And um, now, so... One connection, of course, is, as I was saying, that his father worked for uh, Bell South, which was subsumed under AT&T. They took over the building, and his father still worked there until 2011 when he died. 
He worked there from 2006 to 2011. You know, uh, it became AT&T in 2006. So, so what is the connection to an additional connection to um, 5G? Well, um, you know, you you may have heard and you will hear perhaps the media talking about all of the conspiracy theories regarding 5G. And as I was saying, you know, the typical or most heard uh, theories, conspiracy theories, are about how 5G is being used to spy on Americans. Now, if he was paranoid, as I was mentioning that I believe that he was, um, that would be, you know, it certainly would be um, uh, something that could upset him, <laughs> you know, that, that he could definitely believe is true, that, um, that so, so in other words, oh, and I, I guess one thing I didn't mention that's important is that he lived uh, and his family lived very close to downtown uh, Nashville. So close enough, I mean, not like, not. I don't know that it was walking distance, but it was close enough such that if 5G did do all kinds of horrible things, they could well have been affected. And certainly his father, you know, working in the building uh, for approximately five years after AT&T took over, um, although it's not clear that, that 5G was... Uh, had already started in 2006, but in any case, his father was working in the building, and um, and they were living close enough to where they could have been theoretically affected through the waves uh, of 5G. Also, another typical conspiracy theory in regard to 5G is that recently um, there are all these theories all over the Internet about how 5G is what caused coronavirus. It's what's causing coronavirus. That's another conspiracy theory. Now, I think that he may well have, um, that his attack may well have had something to do with AT&T and with AT&T in particular um, touting uh, 5G. But I think it had a much more personal meaning for him that um, not that it was spying on Americans, that he, although he may have believed that, and not that it caused coronavirus, although he may have believed that, but more importantly, that it caused his father's dementia. When his father died, he was in a hospice for a while first, and he had dementia. And then his brother died in 2018. His brother, Stephen Warner, died in 2018 of cancer. Now, and then uh, the pièce de résistance is that Anthony, the bomber, told an ex-girlfriend about not long before he exploded his RV that he had, that he had cancer and that he was... Uh, giving her his car because he had cancer and presumably the idea was that he didn't think he was going to be long for the world and he wanted to give her his possession. So the idea idea that 5G uh, can cause illnesses, various illnesses, including dementia, including neurological deficits, problems like dementia, problems certainly like cancer, uh, all kinds of other negative impacts on uh, health. That, I think, is more the 
and I don't call it necessarily a conspiracy theory, because in fact, you know, I was I was doing research into this, and in fact, there are um, websites where there are petitions that doctors and scientists have signed, urging people, urging the world, you know, urging companies not to use 5G because of its impact on health. So I don't know that you could call it a conspiracy theory at this point because it may well be true. And in any case, um, this could well be what uh, Anthony Quinn Warner was thinking when he um, exploded his RV in front of the AT&T building. He wanted to be hailed a hero. He thought um, that... Now, this is, again, this is somewhat speculation, but, but based upon what we know so far, the idea would be he wanted to be held a hero for bringing attention to the problems, to the dangers of 5G and thought that he would leave this mark on the world. And, you know, I mean, think about it, really. I, I think we could all relate to this. Um, not necessarily in regard to 5G, but if you had gotten a diagnosis that you felt was terminal, and again, we don't know that he was formally diagnosed with cancer, he might have imagined that, uh, or he might have had some symptoms that he thought, you know, uh, he looked it up on the Internet and it said that that those are the kinds of symptoms you get with cancer. I don't know. You know, it, it will be interesting. I hope... Um, that doctors come forward, and uh, if he ever was treated by a doctor, um, that they would come forward and and give us more information about this. But in any case, it does seem clear that he believed he had cancer. So if you believe you have cancer and you believe you're going to die, like his brother died, um, you know, in 2018, so like two years before, or not even really, a year and a half, before he, you know, it wasn't far-fetched for him to assume that he would die like his brother did. And um, so if he was facing death, and if he believed he was facing death, cancer these days isn't always a death sentence. I do want to make that one clear. Um, But if he believed that he was facing death and giving his possessions away, and I'll tell you about the houses that he gave away, um, he, and he had this lonely life of quiet desperation, working, you know, as an IT man, making a decent enough living to, uh, uh, to have been able to afford at least a second house. I'll get into that. Um, I mean, you know, he was professional. And, um, but, but, you know, feeling insignificant, feeling that nobody cared about him. So he wanted to go out with a bang, and he did so, literally. And you can kind of, you know, there's something really human about that, that when we, we each are going to be facing our death at some point, some of us will have more time to contemplate it than others. But if we had time to contemplate our death, I mean, we can all contemplate our death now, but I mean, you contemplate it a little more strongly if it, you feel it's imminent. So if, if we felt that death was imminent and we had time to contemplate it, you know, you would want to feel as though you are leaving, many of us would want to feel 
as though we are leaving a mark on the world, um, preferably a good mark. But then again, if he was trying to draw attention to the dangers of 5G, the health dangers, he could well feel, have felt, that this was um, the way that he could make his mark, the way that he could not only be remembered forever, but also do something for society. So it's really, it's really a very kind of sad, um, a sad story. Um, it would have been great if he had gone to a uh, psychiatrist earlier in his life. Um, he, there's a high school picture of him on the Internet, at least one, and he looks kind of like a hippie. This was taken in 1974. He was in his junior or senior year of Antioch High School, which, and his family and he lived in Antioch, it seems, for their whole lives. And Antioch uh, is near Nashville. It's a, it's a part of Nashville. And, um, and his father, when his father died, uh, he left the family house to his elder brother, to Anthony's elder brother. And Anthony's parents divorced. Before, before his father dies, naturally. Um, and so when the father died, you know, he, the mother, it wasn't a natural um, turnover for the mother. The mother wasn't living there at the time, in other words. So the father gave it to his eldest son, Stephen. And Stephen gave it to uh, Anthony. Now, um, his mother, I mean, this is a, one of the hints of there being... Uh, problems in the in the home and of course as i was starting to say about the high school picture yearbook picture um he looks he has a very strange smile it looks kind of like the mona lisa but you know it's inscrutable and he does not look like a happy camper though i can tell you that and it seems like there was trouble brewing already back then that he had problems already back then and so, getting back to the houses, so um, when, when, soon after his brother died, well, actually, Anthony took the house. Anthony was like the executor of his brother's estate, although the mother claims that the brother didn't have a will and claims that Anthony really didn't have any right to take the house. And she said that Anthony tricked his brother into giving him the house. I mean, it kind of just seems like a natural su- succession, the father to the eldest son, to Anthony, I and mean, they did have a sister also, but she was married, and I don't know exactly what her state was in 2018, but but uh, it was not unusual for it to go down to the next brother. In any case, the mother was not happy with that, and she filed suit. She sued Anthony, the bomber, for the house. Now, in the meantime, after Anthony got the house from his brother... He quick claimed it, gave it away, in other words, for free, to a woman um, who now lives in Los Angeles. She used to live in Tennessee. Her name is Michelle Louise Swing. And she is a woman who um, works in, she's worked in various entertainment jobs, uh, more in, like, for example, uh, her current job is for AEG, um, with getting organizing venues for entertainment. She wasn't an entertainer 
herself. She didn't sing or dance, uh, at least not for her job. Um, but she was in the background and more in terms of production. And she had very good jobs. Um, her, she had her profile on LinkedIn, and I read it and downloaded it and all that. It's not up there anymore. But she had decent jobs, uh, respectable jobs. And so in 2018, soon after um, Anthony got the house or took the house from his brother, he quit claimed it to, the, to Michelle. And um, then he moved to another house, uh, Anthony did. And when a, mo- a month before, exactly a month before the Christmas Day bombing, he quit claimed that house to the same woman, to Michelle. Now, Michelle had, uh, because of, of Anthony's mother having made this lawsuit and so on, the judge decided in favor of the mother. And so Michelle had to give the house back or give it to his mother. So she quit claimed it to his mother. Now, when all of this, uh, you know, when this first happened and everybody was trying to investigate who is this man, who is Anthony Quinn Warner, they came across uh, Michelle the woman who he deeded his house to, his second house. Um, and, but her name wasn't on the deed, on the quitclaim deed, because she didn't have to sign it. I mean, her name was on the deed, but not, she, not her signature. And so when people, when the media first, you know, and the police, whoever, FBI, first contacted her, she said, I don't know who this man is. I don't know anything about this house. You know, she pretended that she didn't know anything about anything. And then it didn't take much longer for them to find the first quit claim deed where she did sign it because when she got the house, the first one, the one that was from the father, the family house, uh, when she quit claimed it to the mother, obviously she had to sign it. So she couldn't say anymore that she didn't know who Anthony Quinn Warner was when her name was on this quit claim deed to his mother. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> perfect place to end, perfect place to take a break. Um, yes, very interesting. This woman holds the key to a lot of information, a lot more than she has admitted to date about him. Well, when you, we come back, I will tell you more about his, his intrigue. The intrigues about him go on and on, so stay tuned. the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help then contact dr carol lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're putting Anthony Quinn Warner on the couch today. He is the uh, Nashville Christmas bomber. And as you have been hearing, he is a very interesting man for a loner, <laughs> especially, you know, you would think, oh, what a dull life. But he, he has quite, quite an interesting life, at least in terms of things going on in his head, um, if not things that he actually uh, did or places that he went or so on in his life. Now, um, let me talk a little bit about his mental illness. Uh, as I was mentioning before, he was paranoid. Things that, you know, the no trespassing signs, the um, the lights. He had lights around his house. He had lights on his RV, you know, to 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 shine on people to know who was around him. Um, he had. Uh, um, just different, just different things around. He was, <laughs> he was, his work included working on burglar alarms, which is like you know the perfect thing um, for someone who is uh, paranoid to be and and uh, and you know a loner, schizoid or schizotypal to be doing. You know, perfect. <laughs> we'll work on burglar alarms to make sure that nobody comes in, nobody can get me. Um, he, so, and, and so, you know, the fact that he was paranoid and the fact that he had, um, again, a schizoid or a schizotypical personality basically wanting to not be with people, well, you know, um, it's not really, you know, when, like when he was playing the song um, Downtown, his, and I was talking about how, how painfully lonely he was, it's not that he didn't really want people to be around. It's that he was paranoid about them. He felt threatened by them. And he still felt lonely. Like, he still would have liked to have been loved. Everybody wants to be loved. So, um, so he, you know, so I always, I've been wondering about whether at any time in his life, whether he um, went to a psychiatrist or someone suggested that he go to a psychiatrist. Uh, you know, there's some n- new things that came out today, <clears throat> just a little while ago, about how, uh, and again, you know, this, this, um, this just came out, and I'm sort of taking it with a grain of salt. It is not attributed, it's not clear who is telling uh, the media about this, you know, and how well they know or whether they just want to kind of get into the act. But there is a report that he was interested in lizard people. Um, Let's see. Uh, 
So they're, they're looking into the fact that he may have been interested in conspiracy theories, including some about lizard people. And the lizard or reptilian conspiracy theory involves the belief that shape-shifting reptilian creatures appear in human form and are bent on world domination. Now, I mean, that is definitely, um, I mean, he may have been believed in that. Uh, I certainly don't. (laughs) And it may have been a sign of his psychosis. Um, But um, they also think, again, it's not clear who is telling the authorities this, but they also think that he may have spent time hunting for alien life forms in a nearby state park. Now, there have been reports of him going to a particular state park a lot. And actually, right before Christmas, he wrote a letter to the woman, Michelle, who gave his uh, the house he was living in to, you know, his own house. Um, but he wrote her a letter, and he mentioned that he was going to be going into the woods on Christmas Eve with his dogs. One of the things that they're looking into is whether he had dogs in the RV that he exploded on Christmas morning. And that's kind of an interesting thing to think about because on the one hand, he really loved his dogs. There are lots of reports from neighbors and so on about how much he loved his dogs. So you would think, well, that he wouldn't have put his dogs in the RV, you know, and killed them. But on the other hand, um, a lot of times people feel that if they aren't going to be around to take care of their pet, that uh, they're afraid that nobody else is going to take good enough care of them. So he may well have included his dogs, dog or dogs, in his RV and had them blow up with him because, you know, perhaps he had the idea they would be together in heaven or I don't know. So we don't know about whether there were dogs in the RV, at least at this point, but presumably they are looking for more DNA um, and we may know the answer to that. Um, so, so, you know, so this, these um, lizard people and aliens um, may be a sign of his psychosis, like paranoid schizophrenia, or may not be true because, you know, we don't know the source that this is coming from or they didn't report the source in any case. Um, but these are just interesting other aspects to his personality. Um, now, now, getting back to Michelle, I think, I, I think that's one of the most fascinating aspects. You know, of course she doesn't want, as I said, she didn't at the beginning when she thought she, when they thought, when she thought that her name wouldn't be connected with him because it wasn't on the most recent quick claim, her signature wasn't on the most recent quick claim deed. She thought she'd get away with telling people that she didn't know him. She never met him. She's still saying she never met him. But now she's saying that, um, that they spoke uh, around Thanksgiving. Now, that was around the time that he, November 25th, in fact, was the time that he uh, quit claimed the house that he was living in to her. He may well have called her to tell her that. Uh, also, they found her cell phone number on a piece of paper on, a, uh, on, on a, the back of one of his doors in his house. So, you know, clearly there is more of a connection than she would like us all to know. 
And my belief um, is that she is his daughter. Now, I know I stick myself and have been. I actually started, <laughs> I started tweeting about that from, it was either the first or second day, about how I thought she was his daughter. Um, speculation. But the reason why I think this is because, well, first of all, as I may have mentioned, he's 63. He was 63. She was 29. Um, I don't think that she was his girlfriend. Um, she was living in Tennessee in her earlier years. So she went to college in Tennessee, too. But then she moved around. She moved to San Francisco and then to L.A. She lives in downtown L.A. now. Or she did. She's probably going to be moving now uh, because she doesn't want to be hounded by people. In fact, yes, it had her address, actually, um, I think, on the quitclaim deed. So, so anyhow, when, once they found the first quitclaim deed, they, she, she couldn't say anymore that she didn't know him. And I think that the reason why I think it was his daughter, is his daughter, is because um, I think that her, it would be something that a father who hadn't been in his daughter's life would do to leave her his home, to, to try to leave her, um, you know, uh, money, basically, um, to leave her his things, to leave her money, to, um, I mean, because, you know, the house, I don't know that she's going to move back to Tennessee, certainly not now, do I think she's going to move to his house in Tennessee, so if she sells it, that will be worth, it was um, valued at around 160000 the family house, the first house, was valued at around two hundred and forty-five thousand. Um, although there are different values in different publications, um, so so you know if I, what I think is that he met her mother uh, again. He was a loner. He was schizoid. He wouldn't be one who would be forming long, uh, involved, intense relationships. So he may have had you know a one-night stand. He may have had somewhat of a relationship with her mother. And then when the mother turned out to be pregnant and wanted to keep the baby, you know, they may have just mutually decided that, um, that he wasn't going to be in their life. And, uh, you know, presumably the mother may well have not wanted him to be in their life because of his being odd. And he didn't really want to have, uh, be surrounded by a family in terms of having the responsibility of a father and, and all of that, that is what I think. So then his final gesture, uh, as he thought he was dying or as he actually knew he was going to die in this bomb blast, was to give his possessions to her. We will find out. Maybe by the time uh, uh, you're hearing this, they will have found this out already, that indeed she is his daughter. Otherwise, <laughs> I will have said this in many interviews. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and people will, uh, I, I have, I've uh, said, however, with, uh, given a caveat that this is my speculation based upon what I just told you, and I don't have absolute knowledge of it. So hopefully she's telling everybody now that, um, that she, she's directing everybody to the FBI. She is not answering any questions from the media, and um, she is you know, saying that the FBI told her to tell people to contact them. <laughs> and it doesn't seem like they're giving very much information out at this point either. Um, so that is pretty So I call him the accidental terrorist. You know, I was talking at the beginning about how um, 
going through all the factors, and I just give you examples of factors that one would go through to decide whether this was a radical Islamist terrorist or a domestic terrorist or, um, or not, or someone who was just doing this for personal reasons. I think that he was doing this for personal reasons. And basically it comes down to um, his having some degree of mental illness, uh, his also feeling like he was dying or knowing that he was, well, feeling like he had a terminal illness and knowing that he was going to end his life by doing becoming a suicide bomber and then um, having these feelings about 5G being uh, dangerous for people's health. And again, I am not calling that a conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theories were about uh, spying on Americans and causing coronavirus. And, you know, and that's the thing, though, that um, certainly AT&T wants to consider the idea that 5G is dangerous for your health. They want to consider that a conspiracy theory. They don't want people to believe that or else they wouldn't get their... Uh, 5G network, you know, in one place after the other all over America. And it's not, not just America. There have been protests about this in Europe as well. And then last but not least, in terms of why he did this, was his extreme loneliness. He imploded, in, <laughs> imploded and exploded in loneliness and left the suicide note of Petula Clark's song, Downtown. If you don't know that song, go uh, look it up on the internet and see how sad it makes you feel. You know, it's a song about if you're lonely, go downtown and you'll feel better, blah, blah, blah. But um, but really, there is a plaintive cry to it that goes all the way through. I mean, I love the song. I remember that song. And, um, and it's a beautiful song. It was a very, it was a hit. Um, but I hit because people could relate to that, to feeling lonely. Although, which fortunately, not as many relate to it to the, in the depths uh, as Anthony Quinn Warner did. Well, thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Um, thank you all for listening, and I will be with you next week. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.